In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All four Gospels tell about the betrayal by Judas. All four Gospels also tell about Peter's betrayal by denying Jesus. Oh, that must have hurt. That probably hurt our Lord more deeply than the horror of the torture and death that lay before him. Yes, evil ran rampart, a public display of sadism and power, but betrayal by two of his own is deeply disturbing. Or as Psalm, Psalm 55 puts it so poignantly, that it is not enemies, and here I quote, but it is you, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend with whom I kept pleasant company, who walked in the house of, the, of God with the throng. We don't often think of Judas Iscariot as Jesus' boon friend, but he was, he was chosen, he was one of the 12. He served the company as a treasurer, as an officer of that company, a trusted friend. We know he bought things, we know that he gave to the poor, we're told in the gospel. He had to have interacted with the women that were told elsewhere, provided for their needs, and he must have been familiar in the marketplace where he did all the shopping. And Peter, his closest disciple, who would run in fear and betray by denial, I always found it very interesting that Peter had to go to the young man who Jesus loved and go, why don't you ask him? Why didn't he go and ask him himself? There are already cracks. There's already fear. So the first thing we want to do is run and look for a reason. Was Judas influenced by the urban terrorists like Jesus Barabbas who was freed? He was a violent man. I mean, he was a murderer. He'd go out and kill Romans on the street. But the crowd preferred him. Did, was, did that make Judas impatient with Jesus endlessly going on about love and mercy? Maybe he thought, let's just kick the Roman Empire out and get it over with. That's currently the popular theory. The passage here tells more than it does in the synoptics. We have more texture, we know more. And it raises some difficult points. When Jesus says, go oh, do what you do quickly and now it's begun. Was Judas in a cosmic conspiracy plan between him and Jesus, a setup leading to Jesus' death and fulfillment of the prophecy? If that were that simple, why did Jesus cry and weep blood in the garden, wrestling with God because what he was facing was fearful? Or Judas's response by killing himself, if he was part of a cosmic plot? I mean, 
Why, why didn't he take the gold star? No, he was repentant. That's not, this was not a choreographed event. Now let's take all that stuff and put it in a garbage bag and throw it away. Searching for motives misses the entire point. We got a hint of it this morning from Isaiah. We hear Jesus say in many places, he set his face like flint and headed for Jerusalem. This is not about rationalizing and pointing fingers. It's not about blame and identifying, identifying a villain. We get Judas as a villain, but also as a scapegoat. And Peter is a frightened hypocrite. But we don't have to now, we don't have to look at ourselves because we've got somebody to point at. We can deflect. Oh, that Judas, you know about him. I mean, he was always like that. We should have known. And Peter was always putting his foot in his mouth. We should have known that he would run the course. But Jesus washed Judas's feet and gave him bread. Jesus, the bread of life, fed him. And what about Peter, who was weak when it mattered? But didn't Jesus teach about the weak, the precious weak? No, the reasons don't matter. It is just people trying to lay blame on others, mostly, so they can let themselves off the hook. So we can say, oh, I would never do that. Would I? Oh, yes, I would. And I believe every one of us would. And every one of us does early and often, has always in our lives been betrayed or betrayed someone else, hopefully in little ways, but sometimes in big ones. And that is the point. Jesus knows our hearts. Jesus wants to bring us up out of that into a new way, a radical new way, an impossible new way, a new way that's only impossible with God and through him. Jesus has just washed the feet of his disciples. What he has taught by action is that we must love and serve one another. Not just the chosen of the supper, but everybody. Yet he knows the betrayals which will come, and he's deeply disturbed, and can you blame him? And yet he speaks immediately of glorification, and in doing so he at once turns everything on his head. I think we misunderstand what glorification really means. I mean, there's one form of glorification where you make it all pretty and wonderful and you raise your hands, but there is a meaning in the word, um, in Hebrew and in Greek. It's not about celebrity. It's not about winning or losing. It actually means revelation. The true nature made visible. He is glorified, his father is glorified, because by what is happening, the truth about God, the invisible, ever-present God, is going to be made visible. 
That's what the glorification is about. So let's parse this out. He's disturbed, he's betrayed, and immediately he says that we will be glorified because you will see so painfully and for all times who our loving God really is. This is confusing. This is deeply confusing. He is the manifestation of God. He is God. And it's a God who sees through the fog of human imperfection with its fears and its dark choices to a deeper realm, a kingdom of light. The night that Judas walked into wasn't just a night when the stars were not bright and it was overcast. It was a darkness of the soul. It was a darkness of the heart. It was a darkness over the whole earth. So what triggered Judas, we will never know. We know he was probably already doubting. and He didn't want to spend a lot of extra money on silly things like nard for Jesus' head. And maybe he was beginning to think a military leader was a better choice. And he must have been overwhelmed by what he heard but from the priests and the, and the temple officials in the marketplace. Maybe it was a little thing. Peter's constant holier-than-thou complaints, so the humiliation of having his feet washed, we don't know. Because that's the kind of thing that triggers us. It doesn't matter what the trigger is. And it drove him out into a dark, more dark than just a night. But Jesus stands apart. His focus remains in his glorification meaning he does not waver from who he is. He is the I am in an all too human world. It's a reserved silence, the same silence he displays throughout his trial. A mere, you have said it, or nothing at all. If there's any doubt that Jesus seeing these things disturb, deeply disturbing acts, by deeply flawed people, he immediately begins the first section of what we will eventually call a farewell discourse with an exhortation to love one another. Again, he is saying, forgive and love. As he has demonstrated his love for us, by serving, teaching his Father's will, forgiving, he even feeds his betrayer with the promise of the bread of life. But why betrayal? Why did it need to play out in this disturbing way? Not only a betrayal by his own, but the crowd, remember Sunday? Hosanna, Hosanna. In a day they'd say, crucify him, crucify him. It's the same crowd. And then the painful, gruesome, and public shame of an execution. That would be sufficient for the Son of God to embrace and accept the worst of us. It is the act of reconciliation with God, recognizing all of our brokenness of humankind, 
and forgiving it. Acknowledging it. Knowing who we are. Drawing out the goodness in us. The goodness of creatures, all creatures, made by God in His image. It's down there. On the cross, God is staring right into the face of death and passing through it as though it were no longer there, burned away by love and mercy. The betrayal is the very nature of fallen humankind, no matter the cause. The cross is the portal through which betrayal can no longer pass. Resurrection is the act of overwhelming love by a father for a son and a son for his whole family, and that's us. Jesus is teaching us that we will betray. We will be betrayed. We will feel betrayed. We may feel our parents is betraying us by correcting us. We will feel that we're not being believed by our friends. I mean, there are all kinds of ways that we can feel down and lost and unforgiven. We will be hurt to the bone. We will cry in shame and remorse. But through forgiveness and an abiding in Jesus, we too can leave the betrayals behind and walk the way of the cross, right, walk through the cross with it, and find our way to forgiveness and life eternal with him. And living a good Holy Week is the remembrance, the practice we need to stay on course to the glorious end. And I pray that all of us have a good and holy, holy week. When Easter comes, we will have learned things that are too precious to throw away and be filled again with the truth, and the love, and the joy of the resurrection. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.